following message is presented by First Baptist Church of Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Now the message. I worship you with all of my heart. When is the last time you can honestly say that you stepped back, you looked around what's going on in your life, you, you felt the breath in your lungs, and you felt the beat of your heart, and you say, God, I know that it's only because of you that I'm here, and I'm so thankful for everything that you've done in my life. A heart filled with gratitude, that's sometimes hard to find. For, for some people, it is very, very difficult to express thanksgiving, thankfulness, gratitude, however you want to define it. Some people, it's almost impossible. And sometimes we take for granted the things that God has blessed us with and we fail to recognize His presence, His providence, and His provision in every aspect of our life. So coming off of the hills of something like Vacation Bible School, one of the things that I often fear is failing to thank somebody for what they have done. So uh, there are many people here today, some people that are not here today, some people that I just met this week. There's so many people that have worked behind the scenes to make Vacation Bible School possible. But each and every person that was here during that time frame I want to thank you. You know who you are, and I know you didn't do it for any accolades or recognition. You did it out of a responsive heart. You knew how much of an impact something like Vacation Bible School would make in our community and in our church and in the hearts of those kids. And many of you served throughout the year in different aspects. And so if you were involved in Vacation Bible School, I want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for being here. I know Uh, that it was difficult at times. We prayed over it, and we got to see God work in a lot of different ways. And so just thank you for your involvement. Uh, Thank you for all that you're doing. We're we're studying this week. Uh, We're about to wrap up a study on the compassion of Christ, things that he did for people, the healing, the miracles in specific is what we're looking at, how he moved with compassion in many different people's lives. We looked at how Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. We talked about the blind man that he put the clay spittle in his eyes and healed him of his blindness. We've talked about him feeding the 5,000 with the bread and the fish that was provided from one little boy's sack lunch. We looked at all of those things and how Jesus moved with compassion in their lives. But one common thread throughout all of these, and it's something that we're going to look at today, is it took a human being's step of faith after Jesus had spoken the words for that miracle to occur. And so the same thing happens this way, but the the bottom line of this story is there were 10 men that were healed, all of the same disease. They were all healed completely. And they were healed after they obediently followed the Lord, but there was only one that returned with a heart filled with gratitude. And I think that at the end of the story, you'll see that this man worshiped Jesus with all of his heart after he felt the compassion of Jesus and after he was healed of his dreaded disease of leprosy. Luke chapter 17, 
uh, we see that Jesus had just finished teaching his disciples on how to increase their faith. They came up to him specifically and asked, Lord, increase our faith. So he had just finished teaching them an invaluable lesson on faith, and now he demonstrates it through the healing of these ten men. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem for the last time. He knows that he is going to meet his ultimate destination in the cross of Calvary. He knows that this is the last track he's going to make. This is the last journey he's going to make. This is his last pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem. And along the way, he goes straight through Samaria, a place that was avoided by most Jews. Most Jews would take the longer route along the Jordan River to avoid any interaction at all with the Samaritans. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other. The Jews were God's chosen people, descendants of Abraham's. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were not allowed to participate in some of the things that the Jews would participate in in their worship of the Lord. But Jesus intentionally went through Samaria, and there on the border of Samaria and Galilee, he interacts with a group of ten men. We know for sure that one of them was a Samaritan. And so we're going to see today the compassion of Christ upon this group of men, but we're also going to see that the one that returned to Jesus with a heart filled with gratitude was the least likely in the group that would have acknowledged Jesus for the healing. So let's all stand. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 17, beginning in verse 11. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus spoke the words, and they acted in obedience, and the miracle occurred. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go in your way, your faith, has made you well. Another translation says that your faith has saved you. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your compassion upon us. Lord God, we know that we as human beings are weak, we're frail, and we are in desperate need of a Savior and a healing touch that only you can provide. So I pray that today, Lord God, you'll open our eyes to the blessings that surround us each and every day. Help us to not take for granted, Lord God, first of all, the salvation that you have provided for us through your shed blood. I pray that if there's anyone here, Lord God, who has not been cleansed of their disease of sin, I pray that today would be that day they would step out in faith and trust in you as their Lord and Savior. 
and that they would follow you with all of their hearts. We just ask it all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the first thing that we'll see in this passage, in verses 11 and 12, that these men were all together. They traveled in a group. Point number one, the leper's disease had caused an unwanted separation. So it wasn't too long ago here in our uh, modern days that we experienced the COVID-19 pandemic. We practiced social distancing. We practiced quarantine. We practiced face masks, disinfecting, all these other things. So leprosy was the COVID-19 of the biblical days. According to the law, a leper had to completely cover himself head to toe, nothing showing in order to try to keep the disease at bay. Their face would be covered just above their lip, beneath their nose. And they had to keep themselves intentionally away from anyone. A lot of them would travel together in, in groups of other people who had the dreaded disease. Fifty paces was the minimum distance that you could come between you and another person who did not have the disease. If someone happened to be downwind from you, you had to keep 100 yards between the two of you. So it is very, very similar to what we went through recently with our pandemic. How many of you experienced quarantine during the pandemic days? Anybody here? I had to go to the quarantine trailer a couple of different times myself. Uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, they were uh, going, undergoing remodeling due to Hurricanes Laura and Delta, and they had a travel trailer in their backyard, and that became known as our quarantine trailer. Sometimes we would go there intentionally to get away. Sometimes we had to go there because we were suspected we came in contact with someone who had COVID-19, and in order to keep from spreading it to anyone else, we would spend at least eight to ten days in the quarantine trailer. So... Leprosy, uh, leper colonies, they would travel around in groups. Here's the thing. The, the leprosy separated them from the ones that they loved. According to the law, you couldn't be around your family. You couldn't be out in society. You couldn't go to the market. You couldn't go to the temple and worship for sure until you were declared legally cleansed of the dreaded disease. And so they would huddle up and pack. Some of them would go in solo. These ten men, even though they were separated from society, they were joined together by a tragedy that they did not expect. They were separated from everyone else, but they were brought together by this one tragedy that they all experienced. And the thing about it is, the one of them, Luke declares, was a Samaritan. Any other time... The Samaritans would not have anything to do with the Jews, and the Jews would not have anything to do with the Samaritans. So here's the thing that I want you to learn from that. Anytime we experience tragedy, anytime we experience a disaster, guess what? There are no barriers. We're not separated by race, religion, sex, age, gender, no matter what the case may be, when we all undergo a tragedy, there is a common bond that brings us together to help us support one another. And so even though they were separated from the ones that they love, the barrier of race and religion and hatred was all broken down and they stayed together because they were undergoing the same tragedy. 
So anytime you see the disease of leprosy in the Bible, it is a picture of sin also. Sin separates us. Sin separates us from the ones that we love. And the thing about it is, sin is something that we all deal with. The Bible says that we're all born with a sin nature. Ever since Adam and Eve committed the first sin in the Garden of Eden, they were separated from the God that loved them. Prior to sin coming into the world, they had fellowship, they had communion. They had a close daily relationship with the Lord. But when sin entered in, man became separated from the God that loves him and created them and wants to have communion with them. The Bible clearly says that wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death has passed upon all men because all have sinned. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and we have fallen short of the glory of God. So when you think about the separation that these ten men have gone through, it is a picture of sin separating us, not only from the God that loves us, but the people that love us as well. These men could not approach Jesus. They couldn't get any closer than 50 yards from him. They were that separated by this dreaded disease. Little did they know they needed more than just a physical healing. So the leprosy in their life, it was very noticeable. You could tell by the way that they were dressed that they were infected with leprosy. Most of the times when a person is infected by sin, you can tell as well by their lifestyle. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again right here. I am no man's judge. You may say, Brother Tracy, you're judging me. No, I'm not. God hasn't called me to be a judge, but he has called me to be a fruit inspector. What do I mean by that? The fruits that you produce in your life are evidence of whether you are a Christian or not. Your lifestyle, your language, the things you watch, the things you say, the people you hang out with, all of those are evidence. So let me ask you this. In your Christian life, is there enough evidence to where someone can say, beyond the shadow of a doubt, this person loves the Lord? They began a relationship with him and they are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Write this down. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. Show you what Isaiah had to say about the impact of sin and how it separates us from the God that loves us. Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Now, Jesus could have easily walked up and touched each and every one of those people and healed them. And he did that earlier on in his ministry, and that's probably how they found out about him. But they were not wanting to approach him. They were separated from him. Instead, their voices cried out in God's ear. Jesus heard the cry of their hearts. And that's what Isaiah is explaining here. God can save you. His hand is not short that he cannot save. His ear is not so heavy that it cannot hear. Verse 2, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. 
And so these 10 men, as they approached Jesus, look at very closely at what Luke writes in verse 13. What did they say? Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We don't want to be separated anymore. We want to get close to you. We want to get close to our family. We want to be back in right standings with you and with everyone else. Jesus, have mercy on me. Cleanse me of this dreaded disease that is separating me from everyone else. Let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time in your life where you have cried out to Jesus and you called him master, first of all, not just the Savior of your life, but the Lord of your life. Master, I'm going to do whatever you ask me to do. Have mercy on me. So here's what they went from. They went from saying, unclean, unclean, stay away, you can't come near me. But now they're saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. We don't want to be separated any longer. That's how desperate their situation was. Point number two. Not only did their disease cause an unwanted separation, but their disease had created a desperate situation. Verse 13, that's exactly how desperate they were. Most people think that the leprosy would become so severe sometimes it would even impact their vocal cords and their voice would be down to just a whisper. But all together in unison, all ten of them at once, they lifted their voice up to the Lord. And as loudly as they could, they wanted Jesus to know that they wanted to experience his healing power in his mercy. While the ten were separated from the rest of society, their disease had brought them together as a group. And at least one Samaritan and the rest Jews, people who under normal circumstances would have nothing to do with each other, now the circumstances were different. Are you in a desperate situation right now? Are you in a situation where you don't know where to turn? You don't know who to turn to? You don't think that there's any hope? You don't think that there's any help? That's exactly how these ten men felt. We're alone. We're separated. We're not living the life that God created us to live. We have nowhere to turn to. The priest can't heal us. All he can do is declare us clean. But yet we've heard about a man named Jesus. We know for a fact that he has touched one person with leprosy. He's not afraid to come to us. He's not afraid to approach those who call out to him for help. In the situation that we're in, he is our only hope, and we are desperate to get back to a normal lifestyle and the lifestyle that the Lord wants us to live. So what is your situation? Maybe you feel like you've messed up way more than God is able to forgive you of. Remember what Isaiah said just a moment ago when I read those verses. His hand's not so short that he cannot save. His ear's not burdened down to where he cannot hear. He's listening for you to cry out. He's waiting to reach out and touch you. And he's waiting to change your situation. But he's not going to force it upon you. 
He's not going to make you accept his mercy and his grace. He's waiting to hear you cry out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. So that's what I want you to consider now. Have you ever reached that point to where you bow down at the feet of Jesus and God forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of this dreaded disease of sin that has impacted my life and separated me. I'm in a desperate situation and I want you to change my life. So that leads me to point number three. Jesus was their only hope of restoration. Their only hope. How did they know about the healing ministry of Jesus? Word got out. Matthew 8 records another encounter Jesus had with a leper. The one who came to Jesus approached him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus did the unthinkable. He reached out and he touched the leper and he made him whole again. And now this word has gotten out to other people in the area. And these ten men have heard about Jesus. When they saw him coming... They knew that he was their only hope of true restoration in their life. You you see, when God begins to move and stir hearts, you can't contain it. When 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 other people see the impact that God has made upon your life, they want to know what has made the difference in your life. When they hear about the things that are going on at First Baptist Church, and other churches in this area where God is really stirring hearts up, they begin to listen. They begin to look. They begin to say, God is moving in that place, and I want to be a part of that. Has God restored your life to that point where people notice the change? They've heard about what's going on in your life. Matthew chapter 8, he touched a man. He healed him. The word got out. However, Jesus handled this situation just a little bit differently. Instead of physically touching them, he simply gave them instructions to go and show the priest and follow what the law stated about confirming that the leprosy had been healed. You see, the priest that they would go to, he didn't have any healing power. He couldn't actually heal the person. He was not a physician. All he could do was examine the person and say, yes, for sure, something has happened in your life and you have been restored. You may now go back to your family. You may now go back to your society. You may now go back to worshiping the Lord. But he had no power to heal this person. All he could do was confirm what had already been done. If you're dealing with a sin issue, you need restoration in your life. You need someone who can wash you clean of all of your disease and your sin. And you need one that can take you and completely restore your life the way that God intended it to be. So the first step of faith began a process. And as I read this story, I have to think, When did the healing actually occur? When did this restoration process actually take place? Did it happen all at once? Because they were covered from head to toe. They couldn't see themselves. They had to be able to feel that something was going on. They couldn't look at each other and say, he's being healed, he's being healed, I must be. They couldn't do that. And I have to wonder, did it start slowly? 
Did it start on the very first step that they made toward the priest away from Jesus? Did it start slowly, like maybe from the fingertips, and then as they continued step by step, the healing just went on until they were completely healed? I don't know. Luke doesn't specify. All he says is this. He says, as they went, they were cleansed. So has God restored your life? Are you still undergoing that process of restoration? We believe that salvation takes place in three different stages. stages. Justification. That's the day that you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. And he says, your sins are forgiven. My blood is sufficient. And you walk away justified. Just if I had never sinned. The next part is sanctification. That sanctification process goes on all throughout your life. From the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior until the day you draw your dying breath, you are undergoing a process called sanctification. That means each and every day God is changing you, shaping you, molding you. He's chipping something off and out of your life that doesn't look like Jesus to make you look more and more like Christ. That's what the restoration process is all about. If you've ever watched uh, TV shows where they restore old furniture or restore old cars, you know what happens. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen instantly. They break it down piece by piece. They clean it. They repaint it. They stain it. They fix it. And then they start reassembling it to its original condition. That's what restoration is all about. And I would have to think that as these men begin taking those steps that the restoration process slowly took place until somebody realized, hey, something has happened here. You look different. I feel different. And it's all because of the hand of God in our lives. Overall, at the end, a transformation took place. Not only was Jesus their only hope for restoration, but point number four, their first step of faith began a process of transformation. Luke says, as they went, they were cleansed. Point number five. We see that this one man returns and he gives God all the glory. And I would have to think, where do I stand in that situation? Or are there things in my life that I take for granted? I know there are. There are some times when things happen and I fail to acknowledge that it was the hand of God moving my life. And you do too. Like I said, every day when you get up in the morning, you take in that first breath, you should say, thank you, God, for letting me live another day. Every time your heart beats, you should say, thank you, God, for keeping that old ticker going. (laughs) I know I haven't treated it the way that I should. I know I haven't taken good care of it, but you are allowing it to beat. Another day. You got a roof over your head. You got clothes on your back. You got food in your belly. All of those things are a blessing from God. And so here's, here, 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 do, do you want to know how you can tell someone is very, very appreciative of what God has given to them? They glorify God. 
They acknowledge him for everything that he has done in their life. Point number five, this one man returns and he glorifies God. Glorifying God from a heart filled with gratitude is a genuine side of total regeneration. That means you've been changed from the inside out. Not just your outer appearance. Not just the way that you think, but how does your heart work? What, what do I mean by the heart? Not the actual physical muscle that pumps the blood through your body, but your volition, your body, soul, and mind, a holistic being. Your inner person has been changed completely. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. From head to toe, inside and out. And I'm afraid that only one of these men that was healed of leprosy was changed inside out because his heart was the only one that came back to give Jesus glory for what he had done. He was the only one that acknowledged this is all because of what Jesus did. And in the end, Jesus says, arise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. So when Jesus gave the commands, they had two options. Why didn't he touch us like he touched the other guy? That's what we came here for. We could stand here and just demand that God physically touch my life, or we can step out in faith. We can let our hearts lead us in the direction that God wants us to go. Look at verse 15 real close. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he returned and with a loud voice glorified God. How many of these miracles have we seen so far that in the end, the people that truly believe that this was the hand of Jesus at work glorified God? Last week, when the four men brought their friend to Jesus, Everyone in the room glorified God after Jesus healed this paralytic man. Is your heart filled with gratitude right now? Or do you take for granted the things that God has blessed you with? How do you explain the nine not coming back and the one Samaritan? I'm afraid that the Jews had been blessed by God for so long at that point that they took for granted this miracle. That Jesus did for them. The Samaritan had never experienced the mercy and the grace of the Lord. This was his first time to actually experience something like this. I got to go back and thank the one who did this for me. How do you express your gratitude? Is it through continual service? Is it through your offering? Is it through your time and sacrifice? Or do each and every day you get up and say, God, what do you have new for me? I, I want to express my gratitude by learning more about how to live for you today. See, a heart filled with gratitude, they're not going to have to have anyone to say, all right, you need to read your Bible now. What would Jesus do? How would you respond to this situation? A heart filled with gratitude is going to naturally respond to those things. The way that God commands in his word. That's how you can tell when someone is genuinely 
regenerated because it's not just their outer appearance, it's their inner heart that has changed as well. Their heart beats for the things that God loves. Gratitude's a crazy thing. Sometimes it's difficult for us to express. Sometimes we express it in the most unusual ways. Sometimes we take the gifts that God gives us or the gifts that other people give us and we just take them for granted. Yesterday I'd finished cleaning up the yard. I was watering plants. I was getting things in the backyard back to normal. And I always take the, we have two dogs that stay in the backyard and I've got a couple of different water pans for them and uh one of the water pans that had this green slime stuff in the bottom of it, so I scrubbed it up and cleaned it and filled it with some clean, fresh water. And then I began watering the plants that were uh, in the same area. And I looked back, and one of the dogs was drinking out of the water pot that was filled with dark, muddy, nasty, filthy water. And I looked at that real close. I said, you know that? That's just like us most of the time. God wants to offer us the very best, the pure, clean, living water. A lot of times we take the second best. We fail to give God gratitude for the things that he has provided us with. And we fail to look at exactly what he has forgiven us of and how he has washed us and made us clean. If your life has been touched by the compassion of Christ, if you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you've experienced his love and his mercy and his grace, is your heart filled with gratitude? I worship you with singing. I worship you with all of my heart. I worship you. I cannot be silent. Lord, I will praise your name. One man returned doing that very thing. The other nine continued on their way. Max Cato has a great quote that goes along with this. Aren't you glad that God doesn't give you only that which you remember to thank him for? Maybe you've never experienced the love and the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what I want to ask you today. Has there ever been a point where you were like these ten men? You were so desperate. You knew that something in your life wasn't right. Has there ever been a point where you've turned to Jesus and you said, Master, have mercy on me. Cleanse me of my dreaded disease of sin. I truly believe that you are the Son of God and that your life your death and your resurrection was for my sins. If you died today, where would you spend eternity at? It all hinges upon your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every head bowed and every eye closed. As I said earlier, God is not going to force his will upon you. He's not going to make you do something that you're not ready to do. But at some point in time in your life, if you've never decided to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, if you haven't declared him as your master and your Lord, if you haven't committed to follow him with all of your heart, soul, and your mind, 
Why not start today? If you haven't done that, what is keeping you from doing that? You, you have nothing to lose, but you have everything to gain. If you're not saved, the Bible says that you're headed to a place for all eternity called hell. A place where God doesn't want you to be. A place that is not created for mankind. But if you have rejected God's offering of love, mercy, and grace, the Bible says that that's where you're headed. Or you say, Brother Tracy, you know what? I'm a good person. I've been a Christian all my life. No, you're not. The Bible says that there are none righteous. No, not one. But if that's you today, you want to know how to change that, let Jesus Christ Take control. Calling Jesus master means that he is in control of every aspect of your life. It's no longer what I want to do. It then becomes what does he want me to do. And it all starts just like those ten lepers acknowledging that you have a problem that you can't fix. And then turn in Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. And I'll follow you all the days of my life. The Bible says that we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And it says that the wages of sin is death, which is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. But the good news is it says that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. We learned this week in VBS that following Jesus changes everything. And if he hasn't changed your heart, let him do it today. In just a moment, as soon as the music begins, if that's a decision that you want to make, I encourage you to don't hesitate. I mean, as soon as we stand up, make your way down here and let me know about that decision. Right now, if you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're a child of God, I encourage you to begin praying for decisions to be made. So everybody has an assignment. Whether you come to the altar here in front, the altars will be open if you have a prayer need, if you want to bring somebody with you, or if you want to just pray from where you're sitting at. Heavenly Father, what a great lesson there is today in this passage that we've looked at. God, help us to not be ungrateful for what you've blessed us with. Help us, Lord God, to wake up each and every day and to look at each and every moment of our life as a blessing from you. Help us to draw closer to you, Lord God, with a grateful heart and worship you just worship you for all that you are. God, you're so good to us. And we're so undeserving, Lord God. And God, I, I, I want to drink from everything that you have to offer. 
I want to experience your very best for my life. And each and every person that I look at in this congregation, I want the same thing for them as well. So I pray, Lord God, if there's someone here that's struggling with a decision, that you would touch their heart right now and your Holy Spirit would speak to them in a way that they never experienced. And we just ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Morgan City, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about First Baptist Church, including contact info, go to the website www.fbcmc.org. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.